Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Good morning, Mr. Hamilton. How's things? Well, we've already been at this over an hour, so and it's only 8.30 in the morning. So <laughs> good, good time. Busy day ahead, hey? Yeah, it is. It's a big day for us, for sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, as uh, the Wild Sheep Society and our Government Engagement Committee, we've been talking a lot lately about uh, this latest large carnivore program that uh, our our good friends at the anti-hunting community have rolled out and uh, how it's, uh, you know, something that's front and center in, you know, in the narrative around mm-hmm. our board of directors and also this committee right now, so... Yeah, it's the sad thing is, is it, it doesn't stop. It's if it's not wolves, it's it's cougars and it's grizzly bears and it's black bears. And in this this new one, there's some key phrasing that I noticed where it says they're coming after the social license of hunting. So that says hunting as a whole, but it also they specifically name elk and bighorn sheep as trophy. So that that definitely got my attention as uh, as uh, being on the government engagement committee and saying we need to do something. I know it got yours as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, our committee's done a lot of great work and our board of directors with the society, hats off mm-hmm. to them. Uh, you know, we've talked to our membership, we've got feedback and our members are telling us we need to do more. We can't just let this go because the thing is, is, yeah, they knock off, they've knocked off the grizzly bear. Now they knock off wolves or, or black bears. And then it's just like you said, uh, the narrative that you use is it's death by a thousand cuts. The next thing it's elk and it's bighorn sheep. And then eventually it's everything. So that's right. It, it's just, it's, it's just like that, that movie, uh, Monty Python tis, but a scratch, right? It's one little piece removed at a time. And all of a sudden you're, you're a stump standing there bleeding to death, right? It's oh well, could have done something, ran away or engaged and fought back. Right. So yeah, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and, and that's where, as a community now, as hunters, uh, sustainable users, uh, anyone that, that cares about science-based wildlife management needs to take a stand. We, we need to stand up and say enough's enough because, like you said, next year, uh, Omer Herbenick, who's been on the show a number of times, he's said, you know, next spring we're going to be talking about what species they're going to knock off next. He goes, you know, we can't afford to stop um, to let it why just happen. And why didn't we do anything, right? Yeah. We we. we with the grizzly hunt we we, we saw a, a huge divide unfortunately in our community of people saying well i don't hunt grizzlies and there's no way they're going to win this and well they did they did yeah. because less than a thousand emails came in in support of keeping the grizzly hunt open and when the minister says it's it's not science-based that it's strictly not socially acceptable to hunt them we know we're we're in for a hell of a fight and the, the direction of wildlife management is going and we we, we can't sit back Absolutely. So on that note, um, as a society, uh, we've, we've decided to take our stand and, uh, we're, we've organized a grassroots campaign. Um, it's driven by the wild sheep society, BC. Uh, our goal is to get 50,000 letters 
to the premier this spring. Uh, we want to deliver to government a message that you know uh, we believe in science-based wildlife management. Um, you know we want to defend our opportunity to be on the landscape, to be out there as a sustainable user, to use uh, the resources um, to hunt, and uh, we want to deliver that message loud and clear. Um, and we started this Act Now campaign, which is on our website wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now. Um, we're encouraging everyone to get on the website. And if you do nothing, there's only one thing you need to do. There's a form on there. Fill that form out, and it's going to send a letter to the elected government um, stating our position on this, that we believe in science-based wildlife management and our opportunity to hunt. Um, so that's a big part of it. So if you do nothing, that's that's what you need to do. Now, there's four steps We'll talk about the end of the show on the outro, but the most important thing is to go to wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now to fill out that form. And make sure to share it to your friends and uh, your, your hunting friends, your non-hunting friends, your shooter friends, your anglers, just just people that are don't want to see extinction of species because we're not going to we're not going to see extinction of species immediately. But by letting wildlife run unmanaged, we're, we're going to. Right, it's 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 a it's a pretty myth that likes that we'd like to see spun by these communities that that says nature will balance itself. We know that we're that's not true. We're a part of nature, and we need to take action to balance. Like no hunter wants to see extinction at all. And we're the first ones to sound up saying, "Hey, there's a problem," and we know there's a problem right now with the way things are going. So, as Kyle said, you, you need to hit the website wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now it's 30 seconds of your time to, to fill out these these uh this auto it auto populates for you you type in your name your email address and you, you figure out what your your mla is and we've even got a link for you to do that so uh, yeah can't can't urge it enough we saw a great rise up years ago and we actually changed policy we can do it again and we can enact policy and it takes 30 seconds of your day. So, you know, if, if you care about your future as a hunter, you need to get on there. Um, this is not a, um, this is a community approach. You know, we said our goal is to get 50,000 letters. Uh, our 1,000 members of Wild Sheep Society of BC is not going to cut it. So we're going to be uh, reaching out to other um, conservation organizations, people that think like we do, asking for their support to get their membership um, together. We want to show up with 50,000 physical letters um, and all it takes is 30 seconds of your time and then just take a little bit of extra effort and tell your friends. Um, if you care about an opportunity to be out on the landscape, to hunt, um, and you believe in science-based wildlife management, you need to do this. It's important. So. Yeah, share, share it to your networks, share it to influencers, share it to television networks, get it to your media. We don't care. Just get that exposure. We can't sit back. Right on. So on that note, uh, we got a really cool guest today. Um, mm -hmm. We have uh, Blaine Culkins uh, in episode 22. Uh, Blaine is the Conservative uh, Member of Parliament for Red Deer Lacombe. Uh, he's representing that riding uh, on the hill in Ottawa. Uh, Blaine has a uh, pretty fantastic resume. He's been in Ottawa for a number of years. Uh, he grew up uh, hunting and fishing. He's passionate about it. Um, he is the chair of the Conservative Hunting and Angling Caucus. Mm -hmm. uh, does a fantastic job advocating for hunters' rights in Ottawa, um, and he's definitely an ally. He's a great listen. Uh, you know, Blaine. You know, we kind of sprung the campaign on him this morning. Told him a little bit about it. 
but his messaging is really sound about you know coming together as a community. We we can't be divided on this. We can't sit there and say, oh well, you know, you're a archery guy and I'm a rifle guy, or you're a carnivore hunter, you, you hunt bears and I hunt deer. Uh, we need to to draw our line in the sand. This needs to be our hill to die on, and we have to throw the gauntlet down now. And that mm-hmm. message came from Blaine, and it's really consistent with our campaign, I think. And, it, and this is somebody who who sees these things from the, from behind the scenes, right? He's, he sees how these, these campaigns are working against us. And when, when he says what we need to do, I, I take that to heart and as a, hey, heads up, this is how you need to approach it. And I, I love the term that he coins. So we're going to do some do a, uh, a swag giveaway. Yeah, sprung this one on you again, hey? So if you can email us at communications at wildsheepsociety.com and tell us what phrase Blaine says we need to use instead of trophy hunting, you can win some swag. Awesome. Yeah, fantastic, Steve. I like it. Uh, so episode 22, Blaine Calkins and uh, Conservative Member of Parliament for Red Deer Lacombe. Enjoy the listen. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Uh, Good morning, Blaine. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kyle. Great to be here. And uh, great to be uh, here with you too, Steve. Good to see you. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we met with you, uh, Wild Sheep Society BC. We flew out to Alberta. Um, myself and Darren Epp met with you uh, back in November, I think in 2019. We had a great uh, visit with you in the office there and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us today. And you were delayed a little bit this morning. You had some uh, government business to take care of. So I guess you're in Alberta. You're not out in uh, Ottawa right now, eh? Yeah, that's right. I'm, um, I'm uh, tuning in here from my constituency office in beautiful Black Falls, Alberta, just north of Red Deer. Uh, proud member of parliament for the fine folks in Red Deer Lacombe, which is a north central Alberta constituency. That's awesome, Blaine. So, um, you know, I know you're a huge hunting advocate, uh, angling, and you look out for, you know, the rights for us uh, outdoors people. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your job and, and about the uh, Conservative Caucus for hunting and angling, a little bit about that for us? Yeah, a number of years ago, um, a number of us uh, MPs that uh, were enthusiasts about um uh, hunting and angling and trapping and all of the issues uh, surrounding it formed uh, something called the Conservative Hunting and Angling Caucus. We're the only uh, party that actually has its own uh, hunting and angling uh, group. And um, that varies between parliaments, of course, with the number of Conservative MPs and Senators that we have. But we've typically had about 30 to 40 Conservative members of Parliament and Senators, um, uh, every Parliament, uh, who are interested in advancing the issues that are important uh, to us as uh, the hunting, uh, fishing, trapping, uh, and general outdoor uh, community. communities. So, uh, so a lot of these issues, of course, are provincial in jurisdiction, but the ones that are federal, for sure, uh, we uh, we you know we take these issues very very seriously, and we're always advocating uh, for uh, or defending uh, you know from attacks from uh, those who would uh, basically threaten our way of life. Oh, that's fantastic, Blaine, and uh, we're super grateful for it. Um, and I guess uh, you know the Liberals have something similar, right? No, they don't. We're the only party. Yeah, no. Uh, strangely enough, there is an all-party outdoors caucus that deals with this. Uh, so there is sometimes a collaborative uh, approach to dealing with this. Uh, but um, uh, the reality is there is no uh, there's nobody that um, 
takes a partisan side on these issues uh, like the Conservative Party does. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, you're not going to find a hunting and angling caucus in any of the other political entities, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess, um, you know, the, the, the issue with around this, this hunting issue that we're seeing, uh, you know, this anti-hunting movement, uh, it all kind of gets wrapped up into the gun lobby and um, and everything around that. C21, we're seeing that now. And it all kind of infringes on what we do in the outdoors, you know, our, our ability to carry a, a firearm for, you know, for harvesting and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it's a much bigger issue than just the hunting and angling aspect of it as well. There's a lot of things wrapped up in there that kind of touch on the sides with all this as well. So, um, you know, uh, before we kind of get into to that aspect of it, um, let's just keep it, I guess, high level. And um, can you talk a little bit? So I think you guys entered a, a private member's bill around the um, national hunting, yeah. angling, um, uh, and what was the, uh, the third It's a hunting, and ang hunting, angling, trapping, heritage day. Yeah, right. And, trapping. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was introduced by my uh, former colleague, Phil, um, Phil Norlock, who was an MP from uh, Ontario, not, uh, not too far away from... Uh, from Ottawa, I believe, and um, yeah, he was uh, um, a retired, I believe, police officer, and of course, he was a avid uh, hunter and angler himself. And um, one of the things that we were able to do and uh, advance as uh, conservatives uh, back when Stephen Harper was the prime minister was uh, declaring the third, I believe, it's the third Saturday uh, in September every year as uh, the National uh, Heritage Day for uh, hunting, uh, fishing, and trapping. And this is just to remind Canadians and give those of us who. Uh, and there's millions of us. I mean, there's um, there's more people that go fishing than play golf and hockey combined in this country. So, I mean, there's lots of people that pick up a rod and reel or head out to the lake. Uh, there's lots of people who bow hunt and rifle hunt. Uh, there's millions of us, $13 billion in economic activity. We needed a day that we could rally around, um, uh, whether it's our local rod and gun club or fish and game association or any other <clears throat> of the societies like the Wild Sheep Society to, to celebrate, you know, and we can highlight and it's uh, generally kind of in the middle or at the start of most hunting seasons. So it's a great opportunity to just uh, remind Canadians of uh, this important part of our heritage. Because, I mean, our country is basically founded on this right from First Nations. I mean, they were a nomadic hunting and gathering, fishing uh, uh, lifestyle right up uh, through, uh, of course, the, the trapping is a massive part of our Canadian heritage. Um, and the fur trade and, of course, um, a lot of uh, subsistence living that still happens right now in Canada. So this is very, very important. Uh, not only to our economy, but it's important to the mental health and well-being of many Canadians who just enjoy this uh, way of life. Yeah, absolutely, Blaine. And, uh, you know, we're super grateful for that day. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we need to continue to grow that movement and make sure that we're heard, right? Um, you know, and that's one of the things we're seeing in BC. Feel like in BC here in particular, I, I'm an Alberta boy at heart. I grew up in Alberta and it was just enshrined in our lifestyle. It was what we did. Being in the city, I live in downtown Victoria now, and I feel like you know, in some ways, hunters are, you know, we're becoming irrelevant, really, certainly in the urban setting. And it's one of the things that that scares me, right. And I think that, you know, as the hunting uh, and outdoor community, we need a better job of, of sort of, you know, staying relevant and making sure we're not forgotten about, right, because I think these urban settings, that's one of the challenges today is we're, we're getting, you know, kind of becoming irrelevant, really, and forgotten about. Well, look, uh, you're highlighting, I think, a bit of the urban rural divide. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think there's lots of people that live in cities that also go hunting and fishing and, and they go out. Uh, I mean, it's uh, every long weekend, it's folks from the city that head out uh, to uh, to the countryside or they go to the lake or they go wherever to uh, to get out of the city and um, get back in touch and commune with nature. I think the real the real problem, the real frustration I think most of us have is um, it, it's, not a, it's not a question of uh, facts or science or evidence. 
it's an emotional appeal that uh, is being uh, made against the uh, hunting community. And frankly, the hunting community itself is a little bit fractured on some of these things as well. But the the, the frustrating part for me is, um, you know, what. Uh, you know, people that like to label trophy hunting or, you know, subsistence or meat hunting. Look, uh, I think all hunters are conservation hunters. And I think we need to look at it in that lens because mm-hmm. we are uh, one of the most important conservation tools that uh, provincial governments have and federal governments have in managing uh, fish and wildlife species and populations. And I don't know of any other uh, population in the country that actually pays through licenses and fees, takes training courses, and then pays for tags and other permits so that we could actually have access to help the government, uh, whether it's the government of BC or the government of Alberta or wherever, manage its wildlife populations. Because we as hunters make sure that populations of ungulates, make populations of uh, predators, uh, don't get out of control and tip the balance. We are a very, very important uh, wildlife management tool in the arsenal of uh, those who are uh, charged with that responsibility. And uh, we do so uh, by and large in an ethical way. And we uh, not only uh, pay the government for the privilege to help the government do that job, mm-hmm. but we spend lots of money in the economy, uh, whether it's uh, fuel for our vehicles, whether it's uh, the equipment that we use, uh, hotels, accommodations, um, uh, even the, the taxidermy on the wall behind me when you happen to get uh, something that's worthy of, um, of mounting. You know, these are the things that uh, keep our economy going. And uh, it's all evidence-based. I mean, we are... Uh, the natural conservationists. Uh, every hunter wants one thing, and we want abundance. Mm-hmm. We want abundance of all animals. We uh, we are the the strongest advocates for large populations of everything, uh, and that's what we fight for. And um, we know that uh, we can get we can achieve that if it's properly managed. The problem with the emotional argument getting in the way is it tips the balance and takes away tools from the government uh, and from hunters to be uh, useful uh, for the government in managing certain species and certain populations. And when things get out of balance, you take a look at seal populations, for example, on either coast, Mm -hmm. it becomes virtually impossible now for the government to manage fisheries. Uh, And when you take a certain segment of um, wildlife out of the management context in so far as being able to hunt or harvest, you get massive uh, shifts uh, in populations that um, affect the rest of the food chain. And that has a trickle-down effect, of course, on other species, but it also has a trickle-down effect on economic impacts uh, that we have. And we're seeing that hugely right now on the West Coast when it comes to closures for uh, uh, for salmon uh, and uh, the issues facing, of course, southern resident killer whales. Um, uh, and uh, we know that the seal and sea lion populations, for example, have exploded, uh, not only on the West Coast, but on the East Coast. Uh, cod stocks have not come back, for example. So we need to manage predators as well. Uh, and I think that's the um, the frustration uh, that we as hunters um, are are uh, are facing right now because you know if we don't make you know if we don't make sure that wolves and grizzly bears and uh, mountain lion populations are in check, that's going to have a negative downward effect on moose populations, elk populations, ungulate populations, uh, and um, we need to be able to to manage those species as well. And uh, you can take the hunter out of the equation, but if we don't take all of the hunters out of the equation. Uh, then you can't effectively uh, manage those populations. And it, it's naive, and the naive uh, part of this is um, it's naive to think that if we just leave it alone, if we just, if hunters mm-hmm. just leave everything alone, that everything's going to magically take care of itself. It's simply not true. Uh, the impacts that humans have had on the environment over the years, whether it's mining, forestry, uh, the build, a simple building of roads, uh, cut lines, you name it, um, have created. Um, opportunities for uh, other predators and uh, disproportionately affect one side of that equation when it comes to uh, 
the food web. So we as human beings have to manage that. And it would be hundreds of years before that came back into that natural balance again. And we simply, uh, we simply can't, um, we can't take ourselves out of that equation. We have to be active managers in all aspects of that. Wow. Couldn't have said that any better myself. Uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, you, you keep hearing people say that you got to let nature take its course and they, they leave out that one part of the equation that we are a part of nature. And as you said, we've, we've upset that balance. And if we don't do our part to actively manage, sure. it's going to explode as, as you've seen with the, the predators all over. And the, well, and the, yeah. Yeah. And the frustrating thing, Steve, is the presumption of our, uh, um, of, of our intent as hunters, the, 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 uh, you know, we should, that, that shouldn't be a question. Um, all hunters, all hunters, uh, all anglers, we want abundance. We want to go to the lake. We want mm -hmm. to catch a lot of fish. We go right. out to, into the forest. We want to see lots of prairie chickens or grouse. We want to see, we want to see hawks and eagles. We want to see all of these things. Uh, but we know uh, from being out there that these things come in balance and um, that requires active management, hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, that's the frustrating part is uh, having our motives as hunters questioned along that line, uh, because it's just simply not true. Um, no, nobody cares more for the abundance of uh, wildlife and, uh, and fish in our, uh, in our environment than hunters and anglers do. So, you know, Blaine, you're in Ottawa there, you're advocating and you're kind of seeing, you know, and we've talked um, uh, before the show here, we talked about uh, a video we've seen. Steve, do you want to talk about that video um, briefly? Um, just touch, touch on on that. I can already I can already see Blaine getting a little uncomfortable because he knows the video. Doctor Drummond of the Gun Lobby. Uh, we we chatted real briefly uh, before we went live on this to to just make sure you'd heard it and seen it because I didn't want to hit you blindside with it. Uh, for those that don't know, Doctor Drummond is a major part of the uh, the gun lobby and trying to take away our our hunting sports shooting, black powder, you, you name it. If it's scary or not scary, they want it gone. So he went on a, a rant for a couple of minutes and, and threw in everything. I think the quote was, hunting is over and venison is not that great. So throwing emotion into it and I'd just I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, <laughs> on how that goes down and uh, how that fits into uh, the hunting and angling and uh, sports shooting community. Uh, look, uh, Dr. Drummond's entitled to his opinion, but it's just that it, it doesn't uh, appear to me that Dr. Drummond is uh, well-educated or well, uh, um, has a lot of knowledge about wildlife management um, when it comes to uh, the, the, necess uh, the, the necessity of hunting. And frankly, I think it's actually insulting to the uh, Aboriginal population of our country who, um, of course, uh, have hunting and uh, fishing rights uh, enshrined in their constitutional rights. And uh, for those of us who, uh, as I've just mentioned before, um, value this uh, way of life immensely. And there are millions of us in this country. Like I said, there are more people that go fishing and hunting, more people that go fishing alone than play golf or hockey combined. And uh, I just find the, uh, the notion that, um, that he's talking about to be completely absurd. First of all, um, <clears throat> it would be you know, well, I would never speak uh, down on our agricultural community. Uh, for those of us that uh, enjoy the the taste and the, the knowledge that our wild game um, that we uh, that we hunt and harvest is, um, you know, probably hormone free. It's probably uh, non-GMO. It's uh, it's a it's healthy. And for those of us that do it, we love it. We love the way it tastes. And I don't need Dr. Drummond to tell me uh, what uh, suits my palate. Um, if he doesn't like it, 
he doesn't have to eat it. And that's that's the difference, I think, between a liberal and a conservative. When a conservative doesn't like to hunt, we don't go hunting. When a liberal doesn't want to like hunting, they don't want anybody to go hunting. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the uh, the difference uh, in the perspective. And uh, um, I, I also think it's actually highly insulting because one of the largest groups of Canadians that is um, joining in the hunting ranks right now is young women, young mm-hmm. urban women primarily. That's right. And um, I, well, I wouldn't guess all of their motives. Uh, I know that some of those motives are just that. They're seeking a source of protein for their family uh, that is wild in nature and uh, is probably likely to not have genetic modification or, um, you know, hormones or antibiotics or anything like that uh, in in that uh, stream. So, uh, it, you know, um, I, I think that there is uh, enough space in Canada uh, for the 37 million people that live here that we can all do the things that we enjoy without having to uh, tear each other down. And uh, I just find that Dr. Drummond's uh, comments um, uh, misinformed and entirely unfortunate. So Blaine, you, you touched on something earlier about, uh, you know, about the emotional side of things. And clearly this is uh, part of it, Dr. Drummond's, you know, rhetoric, um, you know, and we kind of hang our hat on this, you know, science-based wildlife management. Uh, it's kind of our go-to. And it seems as hunters, you know, it doesn't resonate well. The emotional side resonates well. People, you know, they, Dr. Drummond gets in front of people and, and, and spouts off this stuff and people get all worked up. And then we start talking about science and wildlife management and biologists and people go to sleep. Um, you know, how, how do we change the tide of, you know, the sentiment against this? Uh, you know, we've kind of got a, a federal government right now that doesn't seem friendly on what we believe in, in terms of, you know, um, hunting and, and certainly the whole you know, gun rights stuff, that, that, that aspect of as well. So, you know, what can you tell hunters, you know, um, it, see, it seems in BC, at least here, and I can't speak for the rest of the province or the country, is that every day there's a new assault on, you know, hunting and, um, you know, our way yeah. of life. Uh, you know, how do we change that tide? What can we do differently? And, and more importantly, what can we do, like, in a political arena, um, I, I, the obvious reason, vote conservative. But uh, aside from that, what can we do under this liberal government to sort of look out for our interests? Um, where do we go from here? So. Well, look, I think we should take a, a NATO Article 5 approach. An attack on one is an attack on all. And we have to stand in solidarity with um, with with all of the people in this country, because whether it's a domesticated animal, whether it's a wild animal, the animal rights movement and those who are, are pushing that uh, movement are doing so to the detriment of everybody there whether you're somebody who enjoys enjoys the rodeo whether you're somebody who raises beef or hogs or chickens uh, i mean we see it here in alberta where people did a sit-in on a hutterite uh, turkey farm not too long ago and created a biosecurity hazard on that farm and interrupted with that lawful farming practice uh, we all need to stand together and like i said um, an attack on one is an attack on all and uh, if they can take away um, uh, say uh, for lack of a better term, trophy hunting. And uh, for those of us that might not be trophy hunters, uh, we sit back and say, well, it doesn't affect me. Well, guess what? You're next uh, once they uh, move those goalposts um, uh, a, a little bit further. They move the yardsticks down the field. Uh, you're next. Uh, there's a tax right now on uh, farming communities. There's a tax right now coming from uh, from all angles. And look, it's largely coming from people who um, you know, uh, it's not good enough for them that they choose their own lifestyle. They need to be able to seem to choose everybody else's lifestyle for them. And uh, it's a really, really frustrating thing. So I think we can do some smart things. Uh, you know, I don't 
you know, we, we shouldn't buy into their language and their rhetoric. We should be using our own language. We should be calling it con all hunting is conservation hunting, in my opinion, uh, whether with, whatever the motives happen to be. And uh, we are ethical people. We uh, create uh, jobs and uh, opportunity. And, um, you know, we, we just need to uh, we just need to stick together on these things and create a, a different narrative and just remind people with facts. Uh, but we can make our own uh, emotional appeals as well. Uh, we can make appeals to the fact that some people actually depend uh, on uh, subsistence lifestyles. Uh, people that live in remote parts of even British Columbia, Alberta, the Northwest Territories, uh, Nunavut and the Yukon and other parts of Canada actually rely on filling their freezers with wild game, a moose or an elk or a caribou um, if, it's a, if it's available to them. It is a part of their food source and it supplements uh, you know, the ability for them to feed their family. Uh, so you know there is there there is no reason that uh, that we should be allowing this this bizarre uh, bizarre argument and it's an emotional argument and we just have to take a look. Even the government of NDP, if I remember, the NDP government of BC, if I remember correctly, even said the minister actually said uh, when they announced the closure of the grizzly bear hunt in BC that it was not a science or evidence based decision; it was purely an emotional decision. Absolutely, he did. So, what's the consequence of that decision? The consequence of that decision is going to be increased grizzly bear populations. Um, uh, in the next 20 years uh, based on uh, their re reproductive capacity and you're going to have uh, uh, wildlife uh, and um, wildlife human conflicts that, that will emerge. There are people that live in the proximity uh, to grizzly bears uh, will have higher risks because there is going to be more encounters. The grizzly bears are going to expand their territory, potentially moving into areas where they're going to be in conflict with livestock and the ranching community. And none of this affects somebody in downtown Victoria or downtown Vancouver, and yet they're making that determination uh, on and forcing their opinions and feelings on people who live with a completely different reality uh, out in a rural or a uh, semi-wild environment. And uh, you know these are going to be problems. We're going to see it. You will see uh, somebody, somebody somewhere in the near future in British Columbia will be killed by a grizzly bear, and it'll be because there's a lot more grizzly bears, and that human conflict will inevitably happen. There is a massive amount of uh, um, uh, interactions right now with mountain lions, uh, depending mm -hmm. on where you are, specifically on Vancouver Island. It's actually, um, I, you know, a fairly dangerous thing uh, to even go out for a hike. Uh, so we had some people get killed here in uh, Alberta not too long ago, down by Canmore. Um, those are the kinds of things that are going to happen if we're not allowed to. Not only that, of course, they're going to put downward pressure on uh, ungulate and other game populations or wildlife populations. Uh, because they are large predators, and um, I'm not saying none of us would argue. Not not a single hunter in the world would say, "Oh, we need to get rid of all the wolves. We need to get rid of all the lions. We need to get rid of all the grizzly bears." We would never say that. We just need them to be appropriately mm -hmm. managed for all of the reasons um, that I've highlighted. And I don't know how you could ethically say uh, that your feelings that uh, you shouldn't shoot a grizzly bear trumps somebody's ability to protect their family and uh, live in safety and security uh, in a in a remote or rural or in a setting where grizzly bears could frequent. Oh, I totally agree. I, I spring bear hunt and uh, it's a favorite hunt because, well, they're everywhere and they're mm -hmm. delicious and it's our, our, our favorite protein. And last, I, I told Kyle, uh, last spring in about half a dozen to a dozen trips out, I saw more grizzly bears than I did black bears. And that is unheard of. Normally, as you know, the grizzly bear knows when somebody's hiking or walking or, or driving or whatever or riding a quad and they bugger off. 
these things didn't care because they had no reason to care. So they're losing quickly. Like people are going to say yeah. no way, but they were losing fear quickly and staying on the road. And we, we had to stop yeah. and turn around and they didn't care. And as you say, it's a matter of time because of the emotional management for somebody. What they, they, they see these commercials on TV and grizzly bears are magical beings that are ice fishing, right? And they're, they're taking off their, their fur coat and throwing it in the washer. And that's how these animals are getting pushed out and someone's going to get hurt or killed because of the emotional spin and it's going to be a whoops i didn't know i thought they were magical mystical beings yep i, I remember years and years ago i'm i think i'm a little bit older than you guys but uh uh back in the, the day when um uh, the anti-sealing or the anti-seal hunting uh, campaigns were uh, running rampant across europe and then we had politicians in other countries actually um, using trade and using other types of uh, pressure tactics to actually end uh, the seal harvest that we have here in Canada. And that has resulted in, uh, there's, I think there was used to be several hundred thousand seals was the typical population off the uh, east coast of Canada. Now we're up around, I think, six million. And we're wondering why cod stock, uh, the cod stocks are not recovering. And, uh, and this is where that emotional charged uh, uh, campaign, that political campaign uh, that is well-funded, uh, gets uh, into the uh, living rooms of Canadians and uh, basically devastated um, many small coastal communities uh, on um, the eastern shores of Canada, many of them um, Aboriginal communities or uh, Inuit communities that made a few thousand dollars a year to supplement their income, which was vital for their families. Uh, and they lost that because uh, there was no value anymore in uh, a seal harvest. And that's what they're going to try and do. Uh, with us as well. And we're, we're seeing it right now. We have a bill uh, in front of the Senate that is going to uh, basically impose uh, a certain set of Canadian values on hunting in Africa. And uh, you, you can see the response from the people of Africa saying, how dare you impose your values on us when we know that uh, hunting uh, in Africa is uh, perfectly valid, perfectly legitimate. Uh, the proceeds of those hunts uh, go to fund uh, anti-poaching activities to reduce human uh, wildlife conflict. Uh, it creates uh, opportunities to buy more land and reserves to actually grow the species. Um, and, um, you know, th it's just a, a backwards approach uh, to actually saving wildlife. People think they're doing good when they're actually doing so much harm mm -hmm. uh, by believing these campaigns. So, Blaine, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the value of wildlife. So you touched on it there. We've seen the value of wildlife in Africa, um, how it's improved communities, how it's brought prosperity, has brought um, increased um, numbers on, on wildlife there. So, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about, BC and I had a, a call yesterday with uh, a guide outfitter here in BC in the Northwest Territories, Clay Lancaster. Um, he's got a legacy. His family's been uh, in the guide outfitting industry for years. And one like of the things already. we talk... Yeah, yeah, fantastic guy. And one of the things that, you know, bothers people and it bothers us as well is we don't have a true value on wildlife. Um, and, you know, there's no, um, there's no number. There's no, there's nothing monetary attached to it. So, you know, a government can come in and say, well, there's, you know, we'll just get rid of this hunt or that hunt because, but like you said, there's $13 billion spent in the economy in Canada by uh, out, uh, hunters and fishers. Um, and, but there's also an economic impact. We talked about sealing. Uh, we talked, there's a loss of economic impact for the families there. Um, you look at the guide outfitting industry in BC, what did that cost our guide outfitting community? So, you know, Clay's comment was, we have to put a value on wildlife. If you, if you have a, as an example, a stone sheep and you sell that stone sheep um, as, a, as a guided hunt, 
that's got a $50,000 value. And if you stop that, um, you know, that's $50,000 that comes away from our economy. So how do we do that? How do we monetize wildlife so that the government says there's a price and they have value? Because we're not seeing it. Um, they're, they're valuable to us, um, not in a monetary sense, but for the government itself, um, certainly it's an easy argument for the anti-hunting community to say, well, there's no, you know, you can't put a value on it. Yeah. So how, how do we do that? How do we change that narrative? And, and what do we, what's the solution around that? Do you have any thoughts there, Blaine? Well, look, I mean, we can talk about the uh, commoditization of wildlife and, and uh, if it's worth something, then it's worth saving. Anything that we have that's w worth something that actually has a dollar value on it. I mean, we take care of our homes, we take care of our cars, we take care of our things because um, not only, you know, they have a dollar value and they're they're expensive to replace. So, uh, but, you know, for some, I mean, it's just the intrinsic value of wildlife. But you take a look at the actual revenue that's generated, especially in certain parts of the world where, um, they, uh, the ability of governments to, say, fund national parks and completely staff them and have the intrinsic value um, captured, uh, they might not have the, uh, the, the financial wherewithal to do that. So where you see it is in other places, um, you have game preserves, you have uh, adjacent to national parks, large tracts of land that are set aside, um, and some of those animals are harvested. And again, it's the abundance that matters so there is actually value in creating more rhinos creating more elephants creating more of all of these animals hypothetically in africa creating more stone sheep creating more doll sheep creating more uh you know bighorn sheep there is more value in having all of these things because like i said hunters value abundance because we know there is a value to those animals there's an intrinsic value to us we just love to see them and sometimes we just take pictures with our cameras but sometimes when it's appropriate and when we feel it's right, uh, we want to go and we want to harvest one of those animals. And that's got a value too. And I feel like my heart's breaking right now for our guide and outfitting businesses in this country because uh, the Absolutely. border closures and uh, the amount of revenue that's lost, we are going to lose some really valuable, knowledgeable people uh, from uh, this part of our economy. And we're going to lose them as a valuable uh, wildlife management tool. Um, and um, it's it's really really frustrating because a lot of the uh, guests that come in uh, for some of these high value hunts they they pay thirty thousand dollars to go uh, hunt a sheep for example this is a great amount of revenue in our economy and not only that it's usually happening in places where there's not a whole lot of other mm -hmm. jobs available it's you've got a bouquet of job opportunities in downtown Vancouver. If you're up in a remote community in northern British Columbia, or if you're in Watson Lake in the Yukon, I mean, what what are the opportunities that are available to you? A handful of government jobs uh, and maybe something to do in the resource sector. And if that's been shut down by the government, and thank you, Justin Trudeau, for basically shutting down uh, all of that for us here, especially mm -hmm. in Alberta. But maybe your only opportunity to earn a little bit of money would be out uh, guiding for a, for an outfitter doing something that you love and making some good money while you do it um you know these are these are these job opportunities are very very valuable uh for a small uh, remote uh, rural communities and um, there's another aspect of this that nobody's even talking about you want to talk about uh providing value a lot of the uh, the protein that's harvested uh, it's very, very difficult to transfer some of this protein mm -hmm. back. Uh, so uh, an American hunter that uh, shoots a moose might be able to take some of the select cuts back, uh, might be able to ship that back. But a lot of that meat ends up being given to First Nations communities mm -hmm. um, uh, near where these guys and outfitters operate to the tune of thousands of pounds of this protein uh, given to um, 
given to these communities to make sure that they have food security and of course a traditional source of protein that they've always had and they're very very appreciative of this so look that nobody up there is complaining about the fact that hunting is going on. the only people that are complaining are the people who are thousands of miles away from it that have no skin in the game uh and it's really unfortunate that uh, politicians don't seem most politicians don't seem to be able to put up a fight uh, or have the knowledge that they need to uh, pr- put up any resistance to these um, basically um, baseless attacks uh, on this way of life. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome point for sure, Blaine. So uh, one of the points you touched on earlier was Africa. With, you, you mentioned the word trophy. And one of the things that's really interesting is uh, in BC right now, there's a recent campaign that came out um, under the guise of biology um, against hunting. And it's a large carnivore campaign, and they actually specifically talk about trophy hunting and how elk is a trophy hunt. Elk hunting is trophy hunting, and bighorn sheep is trophy hunting, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, you know, we don't really, yeah, to us, that doesn't, we don't identify with that uh, as such. So this whole trophy thing has kind of become, you know, the go-to thing right now is certainly, um, and it's not an Africa thing. It's not putting a giraffe on your wall or an elephant or it, like they're they're talking about elk and and the stuff that you and I go out and and the next thing you know a mule deer hunt's going to be a trophy hunt so you know how do we get away from this trophy mantra and, and what do we do with this because it's really creeped its way in yeah. into the main things that we just we hunt for sustainability Absolutely. for sustenance um, yeah, yeah I don't, we, I don't know where we go there so like I say we like I just call all hunting is conservation hunting we're doing it for the benefit of conservation um, because like I said for the numerous arguments that I've already made before but uh, that mule deer that I harvested in uh, zone here in Alberta uh, is uh, one that is um, listed for uh, chronic wasting disease so the government of Alberta issued more tags to make sure that the mule deer population because mule deer are more herd oriented than Mm -hmm. other species are uh, and uh, more likely to find chronic wasting disease in these animals which of course has uh, impacts when it comes to our agricultural community and, and, and many others but um, you know, they can issue more tags in a certain zone. The government can issue more tags in a certain zone to ensure that we can manage the population. This is what it's, this is what it's all about. It's conservation hunting. Now I just happened to find a really nice one. So I got a, tro- I got a mount, but I mean, I've shot does. I've only shot one elk in my life and it didn't have antlers. I'm a conservation hunter uh, because we need to make sure that these populations remain viable. We want abundance, but not overabundance and tipping the scale in one way or the other. And we want to make sure that we can control uh, the spread of disease uh, that some of these animals might have. And hunting is a valuable tool in all of that. So I think we as hunters just need to, like I said, we need to all band together. An attack on one is an attack on all. And like I said, all of our motives don't really matter. So somebody might be more interested in hunting for a nice um, a nice rack to put up on the wall, but by law we're required to use the meat from this game mm-hmm. anyway. We're not allowed. Like the laws are are different in each province, but the laws are pretty consistent in their theme. Like you're not allowed to uh, to allow to go to waste or to spoil um, a- any of the. Uh, any of the animal that is considered valuable. So for a sheep, you got to eat the sheep. Yes, you might want the horns, but you got to eat the sheep too. For a bear here in Alberta, you're not allowed to waste the hide and you got to eat the meat too. So I don't really understand the, the logic behind the um, uh, the attack that is coming from uh, from those who think that we should be not hunting apex predators because, like I said, they're fellow hunters just like us. Uh, but they don't follow the rules when it comes to hunting caribou. You can take caribou hunting away from me here in Alberta to protect a, a vulnerable population, but you can't, you're not taking it away from the wolf. You're not taking it away from the grizzly bear and you're not taking it away from the mountain lion. So who's going to go in and manage that? Are you going to, um, 
uh, are our fellow citizens going to allow us to buy tags and licenses and pay for the privilege to go help mon uh, manage those populations? Or is the government going to have to go pay somebody? And we see some pretty ridiculous examples of this right now in Canada. Uh, I'll talk about the uh, the New Zealand sniper team that was brought in to shoot uh, uh, black-tailed deer in uh, Haida Gwaii. I don't, are you guys right. familiar with oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I mean, uh, and they're just shooting them and letting them lay there, like, issue tags, let people go harvest them, right? Um, but we see examples of this where the government will have no choice at some point in time, uh, but to bring about uh, some type of a call mechanism uh, and it'll be very politically charged and it'll be a, a very unfortunate thing, but it'll become, um, you know, if, if we, if we, if we cede any ground as hunters and lose ground on, on this front, it's going to just create so many more problems in the future. Well, the interesting thing here now is uh, that we're experiencing BC is they've shut down um, this caribou management. Uh, so, uh, of course, you know, the, the, the federal government's had to step in um, around caribou concerns in northern BC, and um, they're trying to manage predators. And now that has been shut down by the anti-hunting or, I don't know, anti-killing movement. I'm not sure who they are, but um, it's been shut down. So, you know, another example that they're not even allowing management anymore. They just want a free-for-all. Um, and, and really no uh, respect or, or uh, concern for a particular species. It's just let let nature take its course, I guess, is, is the, the approach to that. So it's amazing. Like a, it, it's a very naive approach. It's, it's, it's going to actually do far more damage and harm uh, to those caribou populations than active management actually will. And, um, yeah, like I said, the, the wolf doesn't follow the, the no-hunting caribou rules. The grizzly bears don't follow the no-hunting uh, caribou rules. Mountain lions don't follow the no hunting right. caribou rules, so uh, we need to manage them, um, and there's no better way to do that than through hunting. Well, while we're speaking of emotion, here's one for you. We we hear about it all the time uh, that the rules around hate speech and how the government is cracking down on hate speech. You know where I'm going with this. I've got. Some, well, I think so. I've got some screenshots here, just just from somebody. You know how these anti-hunting campaigns like to take screenshots of a lawful hunt and spin the narrative, as we talked about. But some of these some of these comments are, I vote that we make it legal to kill killers. Leave the wolves alone. Go hunt yourselves. If I ever find you, I'm going to kill you. Things like this. How do we how, how do we enact something that that's got it, pardon the pun, but enough teeth on it? that law enforcement can act on these these threats because you know damn well if us as firearms owners were to say these sort of things to uh yeah. in, in response we we'd have people kicking down our door and taking our firearms away but it seems when the shoe is on the other foot we're supposed to look the other direction and ignore it because we we've had uh we've had hunters call the rcmp and local law enforcement etc cetera, etc cetera, and they're told to report it to Facebook and block them. So I want to say something here that's uh, fairly strong, but uh, I, 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 believe it in my, I believe it in my heart. Look, uh, the, uh, the only people that I know of that cheer on the, the death or demise of human beings are terrorists and those who support them. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, can't disagree there. <laughs> so, I mean... Um, I mean, we, we're, we're being asked on all fronts to be respectful, yep. um, even if we disagree um, with, with, um, with people. Um, social media, of course, provides a lot of keyboard courage. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just keep that in mind. A lot of keyboard courage for certain people who wouldn't have that same courage um, in other 
um, environments. But um, uh, look, yeah, I, I, I don't, um, I don't take some, most of these uh, comments uh, any more than just that keyboard warrior courage, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't take it uh, much ser more seriously than that. But the, you know, it just goes to show the. Um, um, the, the the narrative that's out there and how, how uh, divided uh, people are on this issue, mm -hmm. and I think it just stems from, uh, like I said, uh, emotionally charged decisions, emotionally charged arguments, emotionally charged rhetoric uh, that uh, has actually no roots in uh, reality, practicality, or um, anything that we would consider pragmatic. So it's frustrating, I know, uh, but I mean the the the, uh, the hate speech legislation is already there. I guess it would just take somebody. Um, uh, making a complaint and seeing where the charges go uh, but if there's something more I can do and I can certainly look into that uh, to uh, to uh, protect uh, protect people from uh, hate speech depending on what they do uh, whether it's an oil and gas worker in Alberta and that could exactly be just that, right? as, who could be just as subjected to this kind of hate speech uh, from an environmentalist excuse me as a hunter could be from uh, uh, animal rights activists so that's right. um, I don't believe uh, we should be talking that way about our fellow Canadians uh, no, in any way, shape, or form. Definitely not. We, we've we've seen it here in uh, in BC a couple of years ago. There was a, a helicopter company that was contracted with doing uh, the wolf management, and one of the anti-hunting organizations published who it was, published pictures of them, gave their contact information, gave addresses, and, and basically encouraged hate and inciting to. Uh, to ruin these people's yeah. business so yeah I'd, I'd definitely love to chat with you about uh what we can do yeah we see, it, we see it we see it in agriculture we see it in oh uh, yeah all yeah we there's it's it's actually are, are things so good in this country that people have nothing but time to try and undermine <laughs> or, uh, other other people's uh, livelihoods and uh, exactly and ways of life it's um uh yeah i i just there's to just have a, that much a, hate a, a complete loss of respect and yeah, yeah. and hatred um yeah which is, um, uh, you know, uh, the country is uh, is very divided right now, and I would suggest to you that uh, it wasn't this way a short time ago. So, on that note, Blaine, let's talk about where we are today. So, you know, under our current administration, uh, where we sit, uh, what's the biggest concern for us uh, in the hunting community? What should we be aware of um, under the way things are right now, and what do we have to? There's a few things going on. We got C21. Yep. We got a number of issues. What What's our biggest concern yep. right now? Well, uh, a little while ago, the government tried to change the migratory bird uh, licensing fees. They were going to increase it. Uh, we uh, staged a campaign to uh, uh, to stop that. They were going to, so, you know, I think it's 17 bucks for a, a, a duck or a goose license. Half of that money goes into Wildlife Habitat Canada. The other half goes into the revenues uh, uh, for uh, administration. They were going to bump that up and just keep all the money for our administration and not give any money to wildlife uh, habitat. Uh, so uh, we organized a campaign that stopped that. We're not a, we're not opposed to a, a fee increase per se, as long as uh, as long as the equitable amount of that funding goes to uh, Wildlife Habitat Canada uh, for conservation purposes, helps out organizations like DU and Delta Waterfowl and so on. Um, there have, there's been uh, uh, numerous attempts by the government of Canada to uh, ban uh, lead ammunition uh, and lead fishing equipment, which uh, would be impractical to just do a wholesale approach uh, like that. And most of the lead ends up in the back of a range anyway. Uh, as a big game hunter, it's not like I'm uh, shooting 500 rounds off every fall. Uh, if I'm shooting more than 20, it's because I'm at a range uh, sighting in my rifle. And if I shoot two or three times in the fall, it generally means that the, I missed the first time. So, um, you know, the, so th these are the kinds of uh, solutions that um, are searching for problems that we're trying to uh, head off. 
uh, we can have a respectful conversation about lead versus uh, copper bullets, but uh, we, 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 so this whole notion of just banning something for the sake of banning it is, is not helpful. Um, uh, right now, of course, their uh, government is uh, uh, putting forward some uh, proposals and changing voting licenses and uh, having, uh, instead of a lifetime license, uh, having a renewal license and, of course, increasing the fees. Uh, I see it as nothing more than a fee grab. Uh, there is nothing to suggest that it's uh, having a boating license uh, that is, or not having a boating license, which is uh, causing problems on our water bodies from a safety perspective. Uh, it's life jackets and alcohol that are the, the main causes of issues. On And uh, so if you want to address safety issues, address alcohol and address life jackets, and you'll uh, have a lot less people getting in trouble on the water. Uh, but instead, they're going at it. They're they're just finding they're they're blaming the wrong people for the problem, and we see the exact same thing when it comes to the firearms legislation. So let's talk about that. Um, of course, um, in the last parliament, there was Bill C fifty one, which brought an immediate end to uh, or a prohibition to uh, Swiss Arms, uh, CZs, and other rifles that were largely used primarily for um, it could only be used at a range because they were restricted rifles for the most part. Um, and then we have our prime minister standing up saying that nobody needs to use an AR-15 to hunt deer. AR-15s are not allowed to use hunt deer, period. They were already restricted firearms. The only place yep. you could use them is at a range. So I think that tells you about the knowledge and wisdom of the prime minister of Canada uh, when he makes a statement that is completely based in, um, in, in, in false, false premises. Mm -hmm. um, nobody uses an AR-15 to hunt because an AR-15 is only allowed to be used at a rifle range. So a ridiculous notion uh, right out of the get-go uh, showing the lack of knowledge uh, that the Prime Minister has. So uh, now we move forward uh, to uh, C21 um, right now and um, things like um, replica firearms, uh, you're not allowed, to, basically the law basically states right now that you're, if anybody uses a replica firearm in the commission of an offence uh, is in trouble, but now they're banning replica firearms. So this includes everybody in the airsoft industry. Yep. Virtually every airsoft, you know, for those who, for folks who don't know what an airsoft is, it's a little spring-loaded uh, or uh, air, and it shoots uh, air-powered, air and it Piece shoots of plastic. a little plastic projectile, and it's basically, in by and large, replaced the paintball industry, and some of the paintball uh, guns are getting caught up in this mm -hmm. too. Uh, and uh, people get dressed up, run around, and have fun um you know trying to plink each other with these uh with these little toys and uh, the government is uh, taking that bit of fun away uh but as a hunter i think you should know that if they're willing to take that away uh they're willing to take away more than just ar-15s and we've seen a number of reclassifications mm -hmm. semi-automatic shotguns uh some 410s uh firearms that would by and large be only considered uh, hunting firearms uh, get caught up in uh, the uh, the May 1st prohibition that happened last spring, which is now uh, being acted upon by the government through uh, Bill C-21. So, uh, again, an attack on one is an attack on all. If we don't see it that way, then they will continue to hive us off and divide us until they eliminate uh, fire. Because that, that's the end game. Uh, the end game for the animal rights is no hunting at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, their first start, their, their stepping stone is so-called trophy hunting. Uh, and uh, the anti-gun uh, or the gun... The anti-gun lobby's goal is no guns in Canada, period. So the only people that will have them, of course, is criminals. Um, and, uh, you know, that's their end game as well. They're going to start off with some of these uh, semi-automatic firearms. Um, uh, but make no doubt about it, they don't even want, oh, they don't want sure. you to have your, they don't want you to have your shotgun. They don't want you to have your hunting rifle. 
They don't want you to have your Ruger 1022. They don't want you to have yep. any of that stuff. And if you dig a little deeper into it, I found a little spot in there that says they can make uh, an application to a provincial court judge for an order prohibiting anybody yeah. from possessing a firearm, crossbow, prohibited weapon, restricted yep. weapon, prohibited device, ammunition, prohibited, yep. or explosive substance. So if you dig into so, explosive substance, that's black powder rifles and tannerite, depending on your your, yeah, your interpretation. <laughs> of course. Um, so... The difference now in this legislation, and I think it's mostly virtue signaling. Right now, you can get those same prohibition orders, but uh, you would have to go to a police officer. That's right. A police officer would have to uh, make a determination as to whether or not uh, it was a frivolous or vexatious uh, mm -hmm. uh, accusation. Now, uh, the Liberals are proposing to change that so an individual can go directly before a Justice of the Peace and make that allegation, That's right. circumventing the police altogether. Uh, and, uh, I mean, if you're in trouble... Isn't your first call going to be to the police? Like, is your first call going to be to a judge? Really? Are you going to wait till the court opens on Monday morning if you're uh, you're That's having a, a a bit of a domestic dispute? No, you're going to call the police. It's just as virtue signaling uh, from uh, the prime minister and Bill Blair. Uh, it's not based in anything that's uh, that's mm -hmm. real uh, at all. Uh, these are serious issues. I'm not going to deny that some of these issues are serious issues when it comes to making sure that um, that that people that uh, shouldn't be having firearms uh, shouldn't have them. Completely because, agree. Uh, um, but um, there's there's nothing in this legislation that's actually going to improve the the public safety uh, one iota, and uh, it's very very frustrating. And um, getting back to Dr. Drummond, um, this the mm -hmm. C21 would be like having uh, in front of Dr. Drummond um, or any other doctor, uh, the the Doctors Against Guns. Oh. If you were to if you were to go in and somebody had a, a malignant carcinoma. Mm -hmm. And the doctor looked back at you and said, the treatment for your malignant carcinoma is I'm going to remove all the benign moles of everybody in Canada. <laughs> would, and would, would the doctor think that that was a viable solution to treating his individual patient? It, this, so the cancer is not the law-abiding firearms owner, the cancer, the criminals, the gangs, the smugglers, the, the drug dealers. Um, uh, but yet the treatment seems to be going after law-abiding firearms owners. We are not the cancer. Uh, and um, I would encourage the, the doctors against uh, uh, guns and others to uh, focus on where the cancer actually That's is right. and, That's and, get, right. uh, and uh, treat that instead. Yeah, there's uh, talking about uh, misinformation and not knowing. Uh, there's a politician, an MP out of uh, Toronto area, Ahmed Hussain, I believe. Did you see his soundbite the other day where... Uh, he said yeah, nobody I, needs an AR-135 submachine gun. Well, that's a spark plug. An AR-135 is a spark plug. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you're banning vehicles, right? right. It's, yeah. So I, I, I can't tell you um, <laughs> the frustration that I've had dealing with people who have, again, an emotional, um, that's right. it, it's an emotionally driven decision. It's got nothing to do with uh, facts. And I even challenged Ralph, Ralph Goodale in the previous parliament to, yes. uh, with C-51 to uh, show us any documents that would suggest that Bill C-51 was going to do anything for public safety and he couldn't produce anything. Again, it's just an emotional, um, it's, it's, just, it's votes. They're buying votes at the expense mm -hmm. uh, of uh, evidence-based policy and at, the, uh, at your and my privileges and uh, rights to have property in this country lawfully. So they can take away your guns, they can take away anything, mm -hmm. right? So. So, Blaine, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I know you're out there fighting a good fight for us every day. Um, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about what the Conservative Party of Canada is doing and what you guys are advocating for right now that's looking out for us and, and uh, what we can look look from you guys to support, you know, what we believe in? And 
Well, you'll always have, uh, as long as I'm a conservative member of parliament, you'll always have a conservative hunting and angling caucus. And we will always be uh, advocating, of course, for uh, responsible firearm use and uh, maintaining our way of life. So uh, basically, we deal with it um, on a, uh, as, as, um, as issues arise, we deal with the threats uh, that uh, present themselves, but we also explore the opportunities uh, that are before us to make a difference. And uh, right now, I think we're making some headway um, on um, uh, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans when it comes to uh, seals. We have to work with our First Nations partners uh, on that so that we can get uh, um, get something moving on that front. Uh, we uh, I work aggressively with my colleagues uh, to try and uh, find some help for our guides and outfitters right now because uh, I'm just, I, like, I think we're going to lose. And I, it breaks mm-hmm. my heart, but I think we're going to lose a whole bunch of them. We are. Um, yeah. Some of the ones that have been around and have been in the game for a long time that everything's paid for, they might be able to hang on, but the ones that are making payments I don't think are... You know, I don't know why the governments of, uh, are not, um, and maybe they have, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but we, we got, we got, you know, they got fixed costs. I mean, you got annual life, uh, lease fees mm-hmm. for their, for uh, where these, uh, where they access these animals. And uh, if you're not going to let people hunt there, if you're not going to let people across the border, then you have no business charging, charging these leaseholders that lease fee. Like mm-hmm. you got to take, take the foot off the throat of these poor people uh, and give them a, a fighting chance uh, to have their businesses survive. So, uh, we're doing what we can on that front, uh, and for the, you know, the hospitality and tourism industry writ large, which is suffering immensely. Um, but yeah, we're just going to continue to to fight against the threats um, as they uh, as they approach and uh, take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah, I appreciate that, Blaine. So you know, just kind of on a closing note here, what would you tell? us as a community that, and more specifically the hunting community, what can we do to, to further our needs? You mentioned a few things there, but you know, what's the best thing we can do as a community when it comes to, you know, I guess, federal concerns and, uh, you know, advocacy, that sort of stuff. What's our best approach? Where do we go from here? How do we, how do we stay relevant really? Like, and how do we well, stem look, this tide? I, I would encourage every hunter out there um, you know, get involved or you are going to eventually lose your privileges. Get involved. Join with, if you're a sheep hunter, join the sheep society. If you're, you know, if you're just a general hunter, join your fish and game association or your rod and gun club. You've got to get involved and put some resources into the organizations that help stand up for your rights and your privileges. And you have to get politically involved and find a political entity that's going to stand up again for your rights and privileges and your way of life. Because if you don't, if this does not become a ballot box issue for you, it'll be gone. You'll lose these rights and privileges and you'll never, it'll be so much harder to get them back. It's so much easier to, to, uh, to stop, uh, you know, these things from happening in the first place than it is to lose a privilege or a right and try and get it back. That's the hard way to do it. The easy way to do it is prevention. And I, you know, like just get involved, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a, a hunter, an angler, a trapper, get involved in your local association stay involved decisions are made by people who show up and uh, take some of your time your talent and even a bit of your treasure if you've got it and help fund these organizations and give them a louder voice on your behalf and make sure that the things that are important to us as hunters anglers trappers and firearms owners get heard loud and clear because the assault is coming Uh, and while a lot of this is happening at the provincial level it's 
there's 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 a lot of federal overlap with migratory birds fisheries and oceans firearms legislation the overlap is tremendous so we're all in this together we need to take a nato article 5 approach when an attack on one is an attack on all we got to stand together with everybody in the animal use industry whether it's farmers ranchers uh hunters uh, we all are facing the same uh threat from the same forces and uh, we need to work together to, uh, to thwart their attacks and to communicate in a compassionate way why we know we're right, why we know we're on the side of the angels on this issue, and uh, use our voices and our, our time, talent, and treasure to convince our fellow Canadians uh, that the things that we're doing are okay. Not only are they okay, but they're a net benefit, a positive, huge net benefit, not only to our economy, but also to the environment. Wow, very well said, Blaine. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, great message. And, um, you know, on, on behalf of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time today to talk to us, but everything you're doing day in and day out, fighting the good fight on the hill and making a difference for, um, you know, the things that are near and dear to our hearts. So thank you for everything you do. My pleasure. You know, I've got some great colleagues in British Columbia specifically. I'll mention Bob Zimmer and Mel Arnold and lots of, lots of new colleagues. Uh, you know, Ed Fast. Uh, we went out sturgeon fishing on the on the Fraser with him. We've learned all about state, uh, sturgeon conservation, doing a great job on the mm -hmm. Fraser. And, of course, uh, we just need more conservatives to uh, protect this way of life. And uh, uh, because the, uh, the other side just wants to shut us down, the only thing they do is deny us access and shut us down. And that's the only management tool they seem to have in their books. And uh, we know we can, we know there's another way. We know there's a better way. And uh, so get involved. And kudos to my colleagues uh, across the country for doing this uh, with me. Uh, I couldn't do it without their help and support. And like I said, I got some great help and support from my colleagues in BC. Fantastic, Blaine. Thanks again, and have a great day. Appreciate everything you do. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Steve. It's a real pleasure. Anytime you want me back, I'll be happy to come back. Absolutely. Okay. And take you up on that for sure. Thanks. All right. Pretty awesome episode with uh, Blaine. Uh, interesting guy <laughs> and definitely an ally, right? Like this guy, he's he's in Ottawa. He's fighting for the things that we believe in. He believes in hunting, um, and uh, and he and he's one of us. He he grew up in that in our community. Um, he's a dyed in the wool guy that believes in what he's fighting for, and uh, I'm sh I'm sure I'm super grateful to have him in Ottawa. Oh, for us. oh absolutely. In a word, wow. Like you, you you hear it all the time. There there's political speak but blaine you can see by looking at the wall behind him that he he lives it he believes it and uh he's not just saying what we want to hear he's saying it because it's what he truly believes in and i think that was pretty awesome yeah absolutely that mule deer was pretty uh oh yeah pretty pretty, pretty solid <laughs> mule deer for sure definitely so, yeah definitely. november 1st 2015 he had the exact date and wmu everything there so uh yeah obviously diehard hunter and uh yeah he, he's the real deal yeah. So, what does he remember most, right, about that hunt? Everything, uh, right? Yeah. It's not just not just a grip and grin that we like to be, have spun, right? It's yeah. just the, the emotional plea from him was great. Absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah, for sure. So, no, it's uh, it was great to talk to Blaine. I'm super grateful for all he does, and and it was a great chat with him. Um, mm -hmm. So, just touch briefly again on our Act Now campaign. So. You know, we're asking all of you to get involved to go over to our website, wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now, fill out that form. Um, our goal, like I said, is to get as many letters as we can. We're going to actually print those letters off. We're going to show up and we're going to deliver them to the government and uh, have some dialogue around um, hunting and the relevance of hunting and make sure that they understand that there's a groundswell of people that are tired of being vilified um, 
in uh, in BC here, and, and we feel strongly mm-hmm. about it. So, and and this is not this is outside our borders too. We're asking people um, in the U.S., um, you know, overseas, if you believe in hunting. Um, you know, we're making a stand here in BC because we need to. This is kind of the front line, right? If you think about the war on hunting, um, we're fighting. We're in the trenches in the front line here in BC. I know the West Coast uh, as well. California, they just went through the um, mm-hmm. the uh, the bear the black the bear. bear issue, and and that's the thing. Like, if you stand up, you make a difference. They won in California, right? Like, absolutely, that's, that's they California. They stood up and they made a difference, and we need to do the same thing here. Um, and, and we just can't, we can't sit there. It, this whole death by a thousand cuts has to stop. Well, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're not going to stop in BC, right? They're going to roll into Alberta. They get it here. Then they're going to roll into Saskatchewan. They're going to move eastward, right? Like we saw California and BC together. I don't think that was, I don't think that was coincidental, right? They're, they're starting at the, the left coast and they're going to try and move across. We, we know that. So if you, if you stand for or stand for sand wild, stand for sound wildlife management, you, you need to take action. You need to to stand up against this and and sign, share, get it out to your networks because, as I said, they're they're going to come for years as well. And if, if you want to come to BC or anywhere else to enjoy the wildlife, you need to stand up and sign this because it's it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be pretty in 10, 15 years if this goes through. Yeah, and we're asking you to do a four-step process. Get on the website. This is the most important thing. Fill that form out and hit send. That's all you need to do. Um, it's going to take you 30 seconds, and it's really important that you share that message. Talk to your friends. Um, I'm challenging everyone of you to reach out to five friends and get them to do it, um, anyone that believes in what we believe in, and get them to do it with five friends. Challenge them as well. Let's start oh. a challenge today. Five people. Reach out. Have some dialogue. And... Um, I think that that's really important to get the messaging out. Um, once you've done that, step two is there's a letter on there. Take that letter and write your own letter. Um, and there's four different individuals you want to be sending it to, plus your MLA. They're listed on our website. Uh, send a physical letter. Uh, write it in your own words. And sign it and physically send it in. Um, step three, talk to your MLA. If you can get a meeting, you know your MLA has a responsibility to meet with you as their constituent. Uh, reach out to them, have some dialogue, ideally have a, a meeting with them. And then step four, if you have the time, we'd love to have you volunteer and support what we're doing. Uh, we need more volunteers for our government engagement process across the province. We want everybody in every single riding. There's 87 ridings in BC. And we want everyone represented. So, you know, four simple steps. Um, the first one's going to take you a minute. And if you can do the other three, that's great too. But do step one. We want to show up and deliver 50,000 letters in June saying that we're taking a stand and we're fighting for hunting and our opportunities here in British Columbia. Right. If, if, uh, there's 110,000 resident hunters in BC and if each one of us can recruit five people to sign this letter, whether or not they hunt or not, it's we're, we're over half a million immediately, immediately in one day. And we, we need this campaign to be something the government has never seen before. We need, as Blaine says in there, we need to come together as one entity of uh, back uh, back country and back and uh, outdoor users. Yeah, and you know, on that note, um, this this is a this is a representing our community. It's not a wild sheep uh, thing. We're not going to show up and say the Wild Sheep Society of BC is advocating for science based wildlife management. We're going to show up as a community of hunters, and we're going to say, hey, this is how we uh, feel. Um, we want you to protect our. Uh, opportunities to hunt um, 
and we're going to stand up as a community. So if you if you're part of an organization, reach out to your leadership and say, hey, let's get behind this. Get your letters. Get them over to us. Um, we're going to be collating them. We've got the resources set up. We've got a, uh, uh, everything in place to do that. And like mm-hmm. I said, we want to show up as a community uh, in June to the government and and uh, make a stand. So, um, yeah, wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now. Act now.